on up, sir. And uh, we, we praise the Lord. He and Kenya are under our spiritual covering, and what a blessing and honor it is. So stretch your hand out here. Let's pray for him now, that the Lord would anoint him and open our hearts to receive the word. Thank you, God, for the holy and mighty word of God. Thank you that it is life. The words that you speak unto us, they are spirit and they are life. And the word of God is full of life and power, sharpening our two-edged sword. So we pray, Lord, that you would use your servant today, that you would empower him, give him energy and utterance, that we may receive the word from God today. In Jesus' name, and all the people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, thank you. Well, let's jump off uh, for our scripture. For this series, which is Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we ought to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The word of the Lord. So last week we looked at grace, truth, and time which create the conditions for healing, for growth. And we saw that grace is God's favor and ability. It's God's love and kindness shown toward us even when we were dead in trespasses. And grace flows right out of the character of God. It's part of who he is. And that our ability to extend grace says more about our character than it does about the other person's flaws. Yeah. We saw that grace empowers us to serve God, to trust God in our weakness and to live godly lives. And it is vital to growing and healing because it creates the atmosphere of love and acceptance. We saw that grace provides love and acceptance needed for growth, but truth gives us the structure and direction. Truth is accurate information. It's everything that is consistent with God's word and his design. Instead of being ignorant of our reality, of stuffing things down or ignoring them or self-medicating, we need to shine the light of truth on those things. And we saw how grace and truth work together. They're not separate. And grace without truth is license, is permission. But truth without grace is judgment. And finally, we saw that grace and truth need time to help us grow. Not chronological time, not days and weeks and months, but redemptive time. Time where grace and truth can do their work because we're exposing things to the warmth of grace and the light of truth. 
And this morning, we're going to look at three more growth ingredients. Confession, forgiveness, and uh, repentance. Confession, forgiveness, and repentance, and see how these three things work together to help us heal and grow. Now, when we hear confession, we're going to have one or two images in our head. We're going to, a dimly lit church, a priest in a little booth, and a parishioner coming in to tell them uh, what they've done, what they're struggling with, and that's one of the images we think of when we uh, think of confession. I'm not Catholic. I've never been to that kind of confession. Uh, my granddad claimed to be Catholic, but I'm not sure he went to confession much either. But that's what he said he was. But that's one image. The other image is this sparse interrogation room with a little table there and somebody sitting down in a chair and a detective hovering over them trying to get them to admit that they've done something wrong. And that's the other image we have when we think about confession. They're giving a confession. I did it. That was me. I, I was there at 530. I did, you know, they know all the details. So it's either the legal system we think of or we think of you know, church and religion. But none of them make us feel, you know, cuddly and warm. None of them make us feel good because confession is, is hard. It's not natural to the to the fallen our fallen condition. We don't want to confess things. We want to hide things. I don't want anybody to know this. I don't want anybody to know that. But in a theological sense, confession is admitting our faults before God. It's an admission of our sin and our need for a savior. And for the believer, confession is part of of how we respond to the gospel. It's the initial acknowledgement that Jesus is Lord. And the Bible says that we can't even acknowledge that Jesus is Lord without even, we can't even say Jesus is Lord without the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's the acknowledgement that Jesus is who he says he is and he accomplished all that he said he accomplished. But it's not a one-time thing. The, 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 the believer doesn't just confess once that Jesus is Lord and then go about our day. It's a continued acknowledgement that Jesus is still Lord Amen. and that we are just as dependent on his grace today as we were when we first made that first confession. We're more dependent on that grace. We don't outgrow our need for grace. We grow in grace. In Psalm 32, David is talking about his confession before God and what happened when he didn't confess. He says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, in other words, when I didn't confess, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For night and day your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. 
Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. And David is, he's saying, hey, if you're godly, you got to offer prayers of confession. So confession shouldn't be a foreign concept for the believer because it, it forces us to confront our own sin, our own weakness, our own need for grace, and it's a vital part of growing, not only in the Lord, but growing personally and growing in our relationships. Confession brings healing. In verse 3, he said, when I kept silent, what did he say happened? My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. It was physically affecting him. How many of you know that when we don't deal with emotional things, they show up in other ways. Absolutely. There was an old, and I referenced this comedian. I don't remember who said it. It might have been Seinfeld. And he was joking about, he was like, he said, he said men don't, we don't talk about our feelings. We stuff them in and we hold them down until they manifest themselves in some medical condition, and then we go get that fixed. <laughs> yeah. You're going to deal with, we're going to deal with whatever we're holding in. It's going to show up somewhere. There's a book that's on that I gave a recommended reading list by uh, Dr. Vanderkolk, and it's called The Body Keeps Score. And he's a medical doctor, not a Christian, I don't believe. And he, in that whole book, he's just talking about how unhealed trauma, undealt with emotional pain will show up in our physical body. And David said, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. And a lot of disease, it's just it's emotional things that we've held on to for way too long. The, the word disease actually comes from two words. It's just dis-ease, lack of ease. So dis-ease is lack of ease in the body. Things are not working correctly in the body. He says, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. He said he, he felt the heavy conviction of God. It was spiritually affecting him. There are consequences for keeping silent, for not being able to admit where we're wrong, when we're wrong, how we're wrong. James 5.16 says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. He says prayer and confession, not only to God, but to one another, has healing properties. But not only does confession bring healing, confession guards against pride. Confession, confession guards against pride because it's an act of humility. You know how hard it is to admit you're wrong? Especially if you're like me, you're just used to being right all the time. And it's like, is this what feels? Is this what other people feel when they're wrong? It takes some humility to admit you're wrong. Are we willing to admit when we're wrong to God and others? Can we admit who we are with all of our faults and failures? Are we aware of how our actions affect other people? 
confession requires some humility. And one of the things that it does, it makes us confront who we really are. Makes us look in the mirror so that pride doesn't gain a foothold, so that pride doesn't go unchecked. And it keeps us tethered for our need for grace. Somebody who confesses often, they know that I'm really relying on this grace of other people Amen. because I have hurt this person, I have wronged this person, and they have still kept relationship with me. It keeps us tethered to that need for grace. Romans 12, 3, and this verse was first brought to my attention almost 20 years ago. I was having a conversation, he didn't know I'm going to say this, with one Michael Wooten over here at Metro Church of God after service. And I guess he had been studying, and he came across this verse, and he was, we were talking about it, and he said, yeah. And uh, so that's the first time I was exposed to this verse. I never forgot it. That was almost 20 years ago. He didn't, probably didn't even remember it. I was about 23 years old or so. And it says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Notice it doesn't say think of yourself lowly. It just said, hey, don't, don't, don't think too much of yourself. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think with sober judgment. Paul is saying, hey, don't be arrogant in your assessment of yourself. Be accurate. Sober judgment. And that's what confession does. How do I know what to change? Well, confession is a part of that. You, You got scripture. You got other people. You got the Holy Spirit. You got all these sources of truth, which we talked about last week. And the more we confess, the more we realize our need to change in the first place. Because we realize, like, I've asked for forgiveness for this. I've confessed this a lot. (laughs) I need need to grow in this area. Now, if you're a Christian husband, you can just disregard this whole section because between God and your wife, you already know how inadequate you are. (laughs) You don't need any more sources of truth. You, You are well aware of your imperfection. But for the rest of you, single people, divorcees, got to get some truth. Confession is an honest assessment of who we are. And we can't grow if we're unwilling to admit that there's room to grow in the first place. And as a side note, and this is not exactly confession, but confession in a sense of telling your story. Telling your story. How you've been sinned against. How many people know what you've been through? Know who you really are? Know what happened to you? You know, as a counselor, I have people come into my office all the time, and they tell me things because one of the questions I'll ask when they share with me, like, who else have you told this? And it's amazing how many times that nobody knows. Yeah. They've been holding on to stuff for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, never said anything. And the problem with that is, one, when you hold on to something that long, it kind of breeds shame. 
because there must be something wrong with me or what happened to me was my fault. Uh, but letting someone else hear what happened to us can short circuit that shame. Because shame lives in the shadows. It doesn't want to be exposed. And in my office, I get the privilege of hearing this happened to me, and this happened to me, and then this happened. And some of these stories will break your heart, but there's something healing about another person knowing what happened to us and just listening and hearing and understanding where we are. Because people, they think what happened to them disqualifies them somehow. That it's marked them for life as unacceptable or unlovable or unfit or in some kind of way. But being able to share that with someone and the relationship not be affected, it's, it's powerful. It's healing. So a broader view of confession is telling our story, especially the parts that we're not proud of, how we've been hurt what shaped us for better or worse, what scares us, what motivates us, what we struggle with. Because it's important for us to know others, but it's also important for us to be known. And you can't be known without someone, safe people. I'm not saying <laughs> tell your business to everybody, but do you have safe people, gracious relationships, where you can let them fully know who you are? Not only that, Confession helps us heal, but it also helps us get an honest assessment of ourselves. And it also helps us maintain our long-lasting relationships because it undermines our fears of being rejected or criticized, of shame or being exposed. It facilitates forgiveness. And there's people in here who have been married longer than I've been alive. And you don't stay married that long without a lot of confession. And so any relationship that lasts, any good relationship, any healthy relationship that lasts a long amount of time, there's been plenty of confession. Either that or somebody's just suffering in silence, which, which does happen. It does happen. But a healthy relationship, good relationship, there's a lot of confession. I asked my daughter to give me a grade, uh, you know, how, 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 how well does dad do with confession? And she gave me, she gave me an A minus. And, and I'll take that because she's a, she's a tough grader. <laughs> but it helps us maintain long-lasting, life-giving relationships. It helps us facilitate forgiveness. Because if we can't recognize and confess our shortcomings, then we can't even ask for forgiveness. It makes reconciliation difficult. Um, you know, sometimes people want to apologize and they'll just say, well, I'm sorry. And then you, if, if you press them, sorry for what? They don't have anything. They don't even know. They're just apologizing. They're just trying to get over it. Hey, I'm just trying to get this out of the way. I don't really know what I did. I'm, I'm sorry for uh, how I've hurt you. That's, that's pretty vague. How'd you hurt me? Well, I don't know. But a, a, but a true confession puts a little meat on those bones. I'm sorry I lost my temper. I'm sorry I talked to you that way. I'm sorry I betrayed your trust. If you don't have a lot of that, you're not going to be together long. 
because confession is about taking responsibility for our actions, and that fosters forgiveness and reconciliation. Confession and the importance of what we say. Now, this is not necessarily the confession in the sense of admitting guilt or admitting fault. This is confession is a confession of our mouth. Every one of us has personal creeds and confessions that we say. Some of those are positive, some are not. Things we believe about ourselves, about our history, about our stories that we repeat. And we repeat these things aloud and sometimes just internally to ourselves. And that is a confession. And these things, they may be true, they may not be true. There's, you know, they may be operating on different levels of truth. Kind of true, really true, not true at all. But we say them or we think them over and over again. And they reveal how we have interpreted and internalized our experience. One of the things that I know I say out loud a lot, and I've tried to stop doing this, is when I don't like something, I always say, I hate this, I hate that. That's a confession that I hate something. Never really people. Well, that's not true. <laughs> I'll keep the, who I hate to myself. But, but what it shows is, what is usually come out of is frustration with something. Or when something goes wrong in my life, it's like, I knew it. I was waiting. You know? Got a $500, you know, unexpected gift, and I'm just waiting for that $500 problem. I know it's coming. <laughs> yeah. These confessions that we make in our head and out loud, they say a lot about what, what's in our heart. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What we repeatedly say reflects something of what's in our hearts, for better or worse. In, in the book of James, he, he talks about, you know, blessings and cursings come from the same tongue. This should not be. What we repeatedly say is saying something about what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about the world. It says that I'm frustrated or I'm angry or I'm hurt. It is a reflection of what we believe and it re reinforces what we believe. The more we say it, the more we think it's really true and we just let it go and we don't challenge it or check it or investigate it at all. And a lot of times I'll have that thought, the Bible talks about taking thoughts captive I say, is this true? It's not true at all. You're, you know, yeah, life's pretty good. Would you rather not have the money to deal with the problem? Or you? There was a time when, when things went wrong, they just went wrong. You just had to just look at it. Couldn't do anything. Testing the veracity of what's going on. It's a reflection of what we repeatedly say is a reflection of what's in our heart, and it reinforces what we believe for better or worse, confession. Let's look at forgiveness. It's closely related to confession. Confession helps us grow, but also forgiveness. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time here. Most of you know what forgiveness is, even if we don't practice it all the time. 
But forgiveness means just to let go, to release, to grant pardon. It's the canceling of a debt, using an accounting term. Uh, about, I don't know, it's 20 years ago, I remember I had a student loan. It was like an $8,000 student loan, and I forgot what happened, but they just canceled it. They just wiped it off the books. I didn't have to do anything. Yeah, somebody need to do that again, because I, I, got, I got three degrees, and to cancel a debt. Forgiveness is letting go of anger and resentment we feel after an offense, after a betrayal, an abuse, or being wronged in any way. Letting go of the anger. And I won't say too much about what forgiveness is, but I really want to look at what forgiveness is not, because that's, that's where people get tripped up. Forgiveness is not saying what happened was okay. A lot of times we feel like if I forgive this person, it's like I'm letting them off the hook. It's like because all of us have that. We want justice. We want something done. And forgiveness is like it's like letting them get away with it. That's not what forgiveness is. It's actually the opposite. It's not saying that it was okay. It's actually saying that it was not okay. But I'm going to let it go. I'm going to release this person. It's not minimizing the offense. It's recognizing the offense and still making the choice to forgive them anyway. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Forgiveness is not a one-time thing. It's not like, well, I forgave them. No, if, if you're really hurt, you have to remind yourself that you already have forgiven them for whatever the offense was. Every time it pops up in your mind, it's like, oh, I've already forgiven them for that. I've already forgiven them for that. It's not a one-time thing. You may have to remind yourself that, that you've already forgiven that person. Forgiveness is not necessarily about the other person. Forgiveness is just a, it's about us. It's, it's for us just as much as it's about anyone else. God's command is for us to forgive. He doesn't say, hey, you make sure the other person forgives or the other person pays for what they did. He says, no, you forgive. And as long as we're focused on the other person and what we think they're getting away with, the more likely we are to stay stuck in unforgiveness. Forgiveness is about us. It may benefit others, but it's really about our own maturity and ability to trust God with his judgment, his timing, his way. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. We don't, we don't trust God. To, I, I got to make sure. Because, <laughs> yeah. one, God may forgive them. There's a, a, a verse in, uh, I love the book of Jonah. And, uh, you know, he's told to go to Nineveh and, and preach. And... He didn't want to go to Nineveh is in Assyria. It's an enemy of Israel. He didn't want to go to all these people, but he does. And guess what they do? They repent. And afterward, he is up. I knew, I knew it. Because <laughs> you're a guy who's gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in step. I, that's why I didn't want to go there in the first place, because you're going to let him off the hook. 
I was hoping for some fire and brimstone, and you're forgiving them. He was upset. That's, that's kind of how we are. We, we, we wanted them to get their comeuppance. But forgiveness is not about the other person. It's about us being obedient to God. Forgiveness does not necessarily mean reconciliation. Well, if I forgive them, does that mean I need to, I have to you know, re-enter a relationship with them? Well, maybe, but it depends. Uh, now, reconciliation is the highest form of forgiveness. You know, through Christ, we are reconciled with God. But some people, I, I would, and people may disagree on this, but I say you forgive them from, from afar. Every relationship isn't salvageable this side of heaven. And there are some situations where it's just not wise to reconcile. If somebody is dangerous or abusive, you can forgive that person without reconciling with them. If somebody is abusive, you, you can forgive them. You don't have to sit next to them. You don't have to invite them to dinner. So I don't believe that forgiveness is always it always means reconciliation, even though reconciliation is the highest form of forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you can't set boundaries. It isn't necessarily granting someone immediate, unrestricted access back into your life. It just means that you've given up the right to be angry, the right for revenge. doesn't necessarily mean reconciliation. And for the believer, forgiveness is it's not negotiable. Colossians 3.12 says, Put on then as God chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, another forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. That little word must. It's, it's not a suggestion. God's forgiven you. You must forgive. Uh, new, the New Living Translation puts it this way. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must Forgive others. In the Lord's Prayer, when we recite that, it says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. See, our forgiveness is tied to God's forgiveness. I asked my daughter what she thought about forgiveness, and she said, if someone, this is a direct quote, if someone does something to you that you don't like, you should still forgive them because that's Christ-like. Because he forgave us and he was a sacrifice. So the only thing we can do is forgive other people. Now it's a lot easier said than done. I'm not suggesting that it's easy. But that's what we're called to do. Now anytime there's a talk about forgiveness, somebody's liable to say, well, I can, feel give, I, I can forgive others. I just have a hard time forgiving myself. I forgive other people, but when it comes to me, I just wallow in guilt. 
And there are different, there are different views on that, and I, I can't spend a lot of time here, but I will say there, there's two different views. One of those is if forgiveness is canceling a debt, can you owe yourself? If forgiveness is granting pardon, can you let yourself out of jail? Uh, now, if you're Otis from the Andy Griffith Show, they'll leave the key there for you. Maybe you can. Uh, so some people say you can't forgive yourself because it ha it's something that has to be received. That's one view. And the other view is that was forgiving yourself is really about being more kind to yourself. And I don't think either one of these is wrong. They might both be right. I'm not going to settle that debate here. But what I will say is both require grace, either giving yourself grace or receiving grace from other people. And the more grace we internalize, I talked about this last week, the more good and bad we can accept in ourselves and others. So if somebody is struggling with guilt, that means they don't have enough grace. Yeah, but you don't know what I've done. Well, God knows. He knew before you did it. He forgave you anyway. See, grace isn't about what you've done. Grace is about what he's done. And I would ask, why are your standards for forgiveness higher than God's? God and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ accomplished a forgiveness so complete, so thorough, and he offered it so lavishly that he only had to offer it once to be sufficient for all times. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why are your standards for forgiveness higher than God's? If he forgave you, you can forgive you. If he's forgiven the worst of the worst, if you look through the Bible, you realize there's no perfect people. Everybody did something. There was murderers and all kinds of people that God forgave. Lower your standards for forgiveness and lean into the grace of God. Unforgiveness keeps us stuck in pain and resentment and bitterness. It keeps us stuck in the past and forgiveness helps us grow by helping us move forward. Now, this quote is by a woman named Heidi Preeb. This is not an endorsement. I don't know anything about her work. I don't know anything about her beliefs. Uh, I just saw this quote, and I like the quote. So if you go down the Heidi Preeb rabbit hole and reading stuff, it's, how did he recommend I don't know anything about the woman. But this is a great quote. She says, forgiveness means giving up hope for a different past. It means knowing that the past is over, the dust has settled, and the destruction left in its wake can never be reconstructed to resemble what it was. It's accepting that there's no magic solution to the damage and heartache that's been caused. It's the realization that as unfair as the hurricane was, you still have to live in its city of ruins. And no amount of anger is going to reconstruct that city. You have to do it yourself. She says forgiveness is realizing that you can't. I mean, there are some offenses that are so painful, so hurtful, so long-lasting that you can't just 
get over it. You're going to have to make a choice. That past is never, you, you can't redo the past. The innocence you lost, the time you lost, the money you spent, the energy you invested, that's done. But what you can do is rebuild something that's more true, more honest, more gracious. See, forgiveness is a choice. If you're waiting until you feel a certain way about the other person, if you're waiting till you feel like changing, if you're, they may never, if you're waiting for them to change, they may never change. That person may never suffer enough unless you assist them in their suffering. They may never pay enough restitution. It's a choice. It's not an emotion. Forgiveness is a choice. It's an act of the will. In, in the ideal situation, there will be a confession, and then there will be forgiveness. You may never get that, that confession. That apology may never come. Sometimes the forgiveness comes before the apology. You forgive someone in your heart or even to them, and they may, they may say nothing. And then maybe a week later, a month later, a year later, they might apologize. But don't, don't wait on it. So if, you, if you're waiting on an apology to feel safer, to feel differently about that person, until they're worthy of your forgiveness, you don't have to wait. You can make a choice. Forgiveness is a choice. You can start the process right now by answering a question. And the question is not, am I ready to forgive? The question is, am I willing to? Because no, you're not ready to forgive. Are you willing to forgive? Finally, look at repentance. Confession, forgiveness, repentance. Repentance is true change. It's more than just feeling sorry or regret. It's sorrow and regret pushing us toward a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of purpose and direction. Now, the truest repentance we ever are going to have is being born again. The Bible calls it regeneration, where the Holy Spirit changes our hearts, changes our orientation toward God, toward our sin. We're enemies of God, become friends of God. We hate God, we love God. We hate God's word, we hate God's ways, we love God's word. We, that's the truest repentance we're ever going to have this side of heaven. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So God promises to change us from the inside out. That's, that's Repentance a change of heart and mind, of direction and purpose. 
But God uses other things as well, other than the Holy Spirit, which regenerates and gives us a new heart that gives us a new birth in Christ. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 2 that God's kindness, his grace, is intended to lead us to repentance. He's talking to a group of people who don't really understand grace. And he says, don't you understand that the kindness is not, to, it's not meant to leave you the same. It's meant to lead you to repentance. But not only God's kindness. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 7, 8. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 8. It says, for even if I made you grieve with my letter. You know, Paul is, in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul just lets them have it. I mean, he is just blasting them. And so 2 Corinthians, he's a little softer, kinder Paul. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, uh, King James will say sorry instead of grieve. I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter really grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, not that you were feeling bad for bad sake, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, a godly sorrow, that so that you suffered no loss from us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So God uses his kindness and he uses our sorrow and our grief to bring us to repentance. Oftentimes I'll have people, I'm talking to people in my office or even outside of work, you know, they'll just feel like they're the worst Christian ever because, well, I did this and I did that and I did this. And I was like, well, that's, that, that sounds like a pretty good Christian to me. And they say, how do you, how do you figure that? I said, because you know who's not worried about what they've done? <laughs> Unbelievers. They're not sorry. The fact that you are worried that you've offended God, the fact that you're worried that you've hurt some other person, that is a good sign, you know, that your heart has been softened by the gospel. So how, well, how do I know if I'm experiencing godly grief, godly sorrow, or worldly grief? Well, what is it producing? Paul says that, Paul says that godly grief, godly sorrow, it leads to repentance, makes us want to change our heart and mind, change direction. If you're stuck in guilt and shame, it's killing you from the inside, that's worldly grief. You say that brings death. It didn't, it didn't change anything. So if there's guilt and you're just sitting in it, not taking you there, it's not moving you in a new direction, that's not from God. Paul talks about repentance is not only something that God does in us, it's also something that we have to do as well. There's God's sovereignty, but there's also our responsibility. And that's why he's always talking about Take off the old self and put on the new self. Put off the old man. Put on the new man. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling you received. He said, you got some work to do too. Repentance is aided by the Holy Spirit who's producing the fruit of the Spirit in us, but it's also us making a choice to do something different. 
making a choice to go in a different direction. And these three things, they kind of weave together a rope of forgiveness, confession, and repentance. They're almost inseparable. Because what's, what's the best, uh, there's an old saying that the, the, uh, the, best, the best apology is change behavior. So if you're asking for forgiveness, the greatest thing you can do is change, is repent. You know, somebody who's repeatedly doing the same thing to us, repeatedly hurting us in a certain way, and they don't have changed behavior, they haven't repented. They just said the words. They're not showing any. But Paul says, hey, is the walk different? Are they putting on the new man? Can you see anything? Now, you can go too far with that. Sometimes people get stuck in watching every little thing somebody does to see if they're changing. You can, you can get a little bit too specific or particular with that. But repentance, you should be able to see it. A lot of it's internal, but there's a lot of it external as well. Confession, forgiveness, repentance. Nothing hidden can be healed. That's where confession comes in. You can't acknowledge. If you can't acknowledge it, you can't address it. Sin, shame, guilt, sadness, fear, they all thrive in darkness and hiddenness. And confession reveals those things so they can get to the light of truth and the warmth of grace. Confession is at the heart of the gospel. Forgiveness, canceling a debt, granting pardons, that's at the heart of the gospel. Repentance, change of heart and mind, of direction and purpose, that's at the heart of the gospel. These, these things that help us grow are baked into God's redemptive plan and the redemptive story. That's why they work. That's why they work. It's because he has created the world a certain way. He's created us in his image. So these things that we do, he's already done. He, he has forgiven us. Now, Jesus didn't have to confess because uh, <laughs> he didn't do anything wrong. But he was honest about who he was, what he thought, what he wanted, what he believed. So he didn't have to confess any offenses, but he took on ours. The things that help us Heal and grow are the very things that healed our relationship with God. And if we can meditate on these things and do these things and really focus on, hey, what do I need to confess? Who do I need to forgive? And where do I need to repent? Well, we'd be just that much closer to being more obedient to God and being conformed to the image of his son. Amen? Amen. 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 By the way, my daughter, she gave me a B minus or a B on my uh, confession skills. She's, uh, she doesn't think I confess that well. Uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word that is a light to our path. We ask that you would show us where you're working in our lives, where you're working in our hearts, and give us the grace, the favor, and ability to do what you've asked us to do, to be what you've asked us to be. 
Give us the courage to confess our sins one to another. Grant us the courage to forgive those who have hurt us, who have betrayed us, who have abused us, who have neglected us, who have wronged us in any way. And if we can't forgive them for their sake or our sake, then we can forgive them for Christ's sake. Father, I pray that you would grant us a deep and true repentance that you would change our hearts and our minds that would be fixed on you and that our walk with you will reflect the grace that you have given us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. See you next week.